good morning you know honestly when i was sitting there i just felt that today was a sunday where you guys have no energy is that because you had a tough week or is that because of any other reason but anyways you know this is a bright day and maybe if you just need to stretch that's fine feel free to do that if you do want to wash your faces feel free to do that uh, all of you intently looking at me in case you do feel sleepy please ensure that you don't snore so that so that the other person who's sleeping next to you does not wake up it's very important that we are very involved in this but don't disturb anyone else we're glad that many of you could join us uh, i do see some empty chairs there so it looks like the viral still has its own effect um and so this morning as a church we continue our very fascinating series in the book of luke we started the series in may and so for, and so far out of the 24 chapters nine chapters we are on the ninth chapter today and uh, preview is that by december 25th luke will end so you've got about 12 more weeks and 15 more chapters so we are going to pick up significant pace from now on so fasten your seat belts uh, packed with energy uh, what we want to do this morning is to ask and answer two questions two important questions and that question is who is jesus at the core who is jesus at the core and b what are the implications of following jesus b what are the implications of following jesus i was struggling with the title of this sermon but uh, i think i came up with three or four titles and i just finally landed at this it's recognizing jesus and making critical choices that impact your eternity now the answer to those two questions that i spoke about is in the uh, passage that sam read for us it's from 918 to 27 the thus far the context is amazing and i just want to build that context much stuff is happening in the land much popularity jesus is increasing in popularity fan fame linkedin twitters are all going on because jesus is doing some fantastic things unnatural but it is super natural he's healed a man with leprosy uh, he's uh, healed a paralytic on the mat uh, he's healed the man with a withered hand in the synagogue do you remember on the sabbath he healed the centurion servant even without a physical touch which means o- over a distance he raised the widow's son from the dead and last week we saw how Jesus calmed the storm slept very well in a storm wow uh, how he cast out demons from one man how he reached out to that one man how the bleeding woman was healed because the lady had so much faith that she believed that if she touched Jesus's cloak she would be healed and finally we saw how he raised up Jairus's daughter from the dead so do you see this this is the back story people around are there is this wildfire about jesus everybody is talking about jesus and you can feel almost the palpable excitement can you imagine when such things happen you got disciples and like the kingdom is coming you've got energy packed in now with this backdrop we pick our story in verse 18 serene environment and it begins like this verse 18 once when jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him he asked them who do the crowd say i am they replied some say john the baptist others say elijah and still others 
that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Much has been going on thus far, just as we spoke about. The crowds had an impression of of who Jesus was or is during that time. And so if you want to hang out with the coolers there, or if you want to hang out in Cafe Coffee Day during those times, people are talking about things that are happening. In fact, that's why Luke writes this orderly account, because many have undertaken to write an account. Why would people write an account? Do we write about accounts here? We don't write about accounts that are going on in this world today. It's because it's just normal stuff. The fallen world is a normal stuff, but things are happening here. So that's why many people are writing stuff. And if you want to consolidate some of those discussions, they had three uh, narratives that they thought uh, that th- that they thought who Jesus was. One was he is John the Baptizer. The second one that he was Elijah, the Old Testament prophet, and also finally a prophet of long ago who has come back to life. You know, when I see all of that, I somehow think that they believe in reincarnation very powerfully. Very powerfully, they tend to believe that. But lo and behold, all the answers of the crowd were incorrect. They were wrong. If the crowd then thought about Jesus, looking at all the externals, and tried to find out who he is actually, and his identity, I wonder what are we thinking about Jesus today? Or There could be many. Some of some of, some of them in our crowd today will say that he was a good moral teacher. Some will say that he learned some magic arts and performed these magic tricks. Uh, by the way, there are stories that Jesus lived in Kashmir. If you have not heard of that, that there are uh, those rumors also floating around. And some will say he never existed. Now, our tendency is generally, generally our tendency is to believe things that are spoken about, what other people say, without proper research or investigation. Uh, do you remember those times in your college or in your school? You are, you are sitting in a discussion and there is this one vehement guy or gal who will talk very confidently about something and he has no idea. He has, he has heard it from somewhere else. And then he comes and talks to you very confidently and you take that so seriously that at some other point you bring that up and if you're in front of research scholars like Dr. LD, you're like, no, that's baloney. That's not true. You see, the power of the crowds to influence our thinking is very high. You know, the most important question that every individual, every believer, every person, not even a believer, every person, let me just take that back, every human being who lives on the face of this world for this brief t- time here on earth must ask this question, who is Jesus? Why? Because we are talking about a very influential person in history where the dates today are divided based on his birth. Out of curiosity, if there is a claim that he is a good moral teacher, then out of curiosity, you want to investigate and explore why was he crucified? If he was a good moral man. Many of us would not have known anything about the cross or crucifixion had it not been for Jesus. So this morning, if some of you are today exploring faith, you have joined us today for the first time. We want to welcome you. Thank you for being with us. And in this journey, as you 
uh, investigate and as you come to a conclusion, I would just want to recommend one core source. Not your friends, not your Christian friends, not me. One source is to go back to Scripture. And in this book, I would recommend that you would read the Gospel according to John. It's a book in the Bible. And, uh, wh- and once you start reading that, uh, just go ahead and see where that leads you out. And of course, one is free to arrive at the conclusion that you would make after your, after your in- investigation, but ensure that your research is open-minded and that there is objectivity in it. Now, coming back to the text. Now, after Jesus heard what the crowds thought about him, he doesn't stop there. Jesus is not really bothered about what the majority or the bunch of people think. He comes down to the individual level. And as he come down, comes down to that level, he asks him, but who do you think I am? The you here is plural. And Peter, almost like a spokesperson, responds, you are the Christ of God. If Jesus, didn't, if Jesus did not come back 2,000 years ago, and uh, if he, was, he came in here today, and he was at the airport, and he's at the immigration counter, you know, some of us think that if the passport of Jesus would have Jesus as first name and the surname as Christ. You know, I have to admit, that's what I thought for a long time. Christ is not the surname of Jesus. It is not his last name. Like we have George Thomas or George Matakil. Matakil is a surname. Thomas is a surname. Anything of a last name is surname. But Jesus Christ, as we say it, Christ is not the surname. Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah, which means the deliverer, the anointed one. The one whom God promised to send to deliver his people from their sins, to reign as their king too. The one who will crush the serpent's head as revealed in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Peter got the answer right. But I don't think it was complete. It is highly unlikely that any of them comprehended the role of the Messiah in the first round or his first arrival. Why? Let's read on verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now one sure fact, one sure fact that they would never have considered because it is a prevalent view of the Messiah. We spoke about this. Joby read about Isaiah 53. The concept of the suffering servant was never something that they really embraced. If you read the same incident in Mark chapter 8, 27 onwards, you have the same Peter who confessed Christ, interestingly, in the same breath after Jesus makes his prediction of his uh, uh, death and resurrection, he rebukes Jesus. He scolds Jesus, saying this will never happen on his watch. It was, it was not thinkable for them because the prevalent view that the Jews had about the Messiah was that the Messiah is going to be initiating a geopolitical movement to relieve them from their Roman oppressors so they can come against the Roman government and that there will be a king established and his reign will begin on earth. The role of Jesus to have established his, his rulership will indeed come up but not in this 
first coming. In the first coming, as we all remember today, he's going to be remembered as a suffering servant. So in that sense, the apostles had an incomplete view or misconception of the Messiah. There's one extended application, and I want to speak to the followers of Jesus here. Believers, do you have an incomplete view or misconception of Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Do you have an image about Jesus which you picked up in the course of your walk with God? Maybe you read scriptures with the lens of how God should behave and you put God in a box and you want him to always behave like that. I remember uh, in, uh, in my college days and when I was 19, somebody asked me this crazy question. He said, Liju, do you think that you will, uh, can you imagine Jesus in blue jeans? I have to tell you that the first time I heard it, I was like, no, it doesn't fit my image of Jesus. What's my image of Jesus as I read, as I read along? The image of Jesus is flowing robes. Verily, verily, I say unto you images. Almost adding so much of divinity when we read into the scripture, forgetting his humanity. And you see later, I just thought about it. If Jesus was to come today, maybe he will just have, he will wear jeans maybe. I mean, he'll have coffee with me. Uh, you know, he will do stuff with us. Because somehow, as I read scripture, some of these images are popped up. Maybe you grew up in that background. I like it how A.W. Tozer said this. He said, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Let me repeat that. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing thing about you. So what are your misconceptions about Jesus? Do you, see him as, do you see him as an angry God waiting to pounce on you when you mess up? Do you see him as your bodyguard? Someone who's supposed to protect you from all hardships and dangers while we live here on earth and everything should go my way and we sing Kumbaya around the table? Is he your cosmic genie? Is he your cosmic genie, your vending machine? Can I fulfill all my dreams, my desires, my supplies, my luxuries, my dream vacations? I mean, do you see him as someone, as a means to achieve your own personal end? At the core, if you don't see Jesus for who he really is, the majestic and the exalted one, and that out of the Father's love, he sent Jesus, God incarnate, into this world as our Messiah to rescue us, from our wretched state, our depravity. If you do not have that kind of a view, then examine who Jesus is to you and expose yourselves to the right view of God through Scripture. We'll move, we'll move on to the next section, which is 23 to 27. So the popularity of Jesus is increasing and all the people wanted to follow him, of course, for what they can get from him. Now, Jesus talks in this section to the people who were impressed with him on what it means to follow him. It's a critical passage. It informs us much. And it asks and answers the question, what are the implications of following Jesus? Or what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Um, I think there are some fantastic um, uh, books written on this. We have done camps in our church here. So there is a book called True Discipleship by William MacDonald. Great book. Uh, you can approach Sujay uh, in the library. You should 
get a hang of this. The other one is uh, written by Nate Bramson, who was also one of our camp speakers a few years back. And this book is called, What If Jesus Meant What He Said? What If Jesus Meant What He Said? I just want to recommend some great book reading that will kind of help and uh, inform as you think through this. All right. So in the backdrop of the fame and the fan following, now he's going to drop a bomb. Everybody wants to follow him. I want to hang out with Ajit on LinkedIn because Ajit is running all these races and everybody wants to be around Ajit. And Ajit, I want to be with you. And this is somehow what Jesus was experiencing. Jesus was experiencing a lot of fan following, a lot of people. And he said, sure, you want to follow me? Let's read on. 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, for those who exercise the choice to follow, notice that, by the way, Jesus does not force anyone against their will. All right? Then they must daily do two things. Daily. Number one. The first is to deny yourself. Deny yourself. What does it mean to deny yourself? You know, the text implies that there are um, two selves. Did you see that? There is a self that has to be denied, but another self has to do the denying. Think about it. Pause for a while. There is a self that has to be denied and another self that has to do the denying. Now, the self that needs to be denied refers to the self-absorbed, self-centered, sinful nature of man. The self-centered, sinful nature of man is all about me, 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 and more me. My purposes and my goals are paramount. It is this selfish nature that ensures that other things and other people are a means. They are an object to achieve yours and my personal success. It is that selfish nature that does not care for parents, that does not share with people in need, that does not step in to take care of the home or the needs of the church and the community that you are part of. It is that selfish nature that gossips and talks behind people's back. It is that selfish nature that is not faithful at work, doing whatever we want, and shopping around with offers so that you can negotiate for the best salary. It is that selfish nature that men refuse to be spiritual leaders at home. It is that selfish nature which makes us gluttons. It is that selfish nature that causes us to spend hours on Netflix and Prime. It is that selfish nature. It's very hard to overcome on your own. It is this self-absorbed nature that must be denied. You know, when Jesus was speaking, this, the cross has not happened yet. So therefore, every time when I look at the New Testament, I always think of this. Sermon on the Mount, it's not a sermon on the Mount, it's a life on the Mount. You know, when Jesus was teaching us some of those things, he's actually telling us, you can't do it. Same thing here. We could never overcome the selfish nature of man. That was man's problem. So, when we think about this, we want to think that the self-absorbed nature of man, Jesus is going to empower through his victory on the cross. 
And with the Holy Spirit in us, we can now exercise that power to say no to the self-centered man. Let me, let me summarize what's to deny oneself in, in a statement. To deny oneself, therefore, is to renounce personal control over our lives and willfully surrender our lives to Jesus and give him the throne as Lord and King. Let me repeat that. To deny oneself, therefore, is to renounce personal control over our lives and willfully surrender the throne to Jesus as Lord and King. Great. Jesus says that's the first part. The second part that he's going to talk about is you've got to take up your cross daily. Now, what does the cross refer to mean here? Let's begin with what the cross is not. The cross is not your roomie. If, you're not, if you don't have a roomie, it doesn't matter. The cross is not your spouse. The cross is not your boss. The cross is not your mother-in-law. The cross is not your father-in-law. The cross is not your father or mother. The cross is not any challenge that you and I go through because we live in a fallen world and we experience the challenges of this fallen world. You know, the word cross in our times today uh, do mean something. And as we reflected today, it means love. It means forgiveness. It represented what Jesus did for us on that cross. So we have a very positive feeling about it. But the word cross during those times, if they heard that, if the people around that time heard that, that would send shivers down their spines. Because it meant death. Cross was the state capital punishment for the most heinous crime done. And the Romans perfected this torture. They perfected it, ensuring that the person went through the most grueling humiliation and suffering. With, you know, and why did they do that? They did that because they wanted that to be a deterrent, that you will never come against the nation of Rome. That no insurgency is allowed and no rebellion is allowed so that they can be overthrown. And therefore, in that setting, the cross represented four things. And this is what Jesus also went through. One is opposition. The second is there is shame. Third is there is suffering. And the fourth is that there is death. And the self in our the, the the self-centered man is obviously against all of these, and in and its natural sense, we want the opposite of all of this. Let me just uh, just to engage a little bit. What is the opposite of opposition? What is the opposite of opposition? Support. Okay. Okay. I would probably use the word approval. I would probably use the word approval, and I'll I'll tell you why I'm coming to that. Great. What is the opposite of shame? Pride. Okay. English majors, where are you? Oil. What? <laughs> fame. Shame, fame. Yeah, that's good. Fame. So we love honor and glory. We love that. Suffering. What is the opposite of suffering? Comfort. Yes, very good. Comfort and convenience. And what is the opposite of death? I mean, you would say life. Yeah, like, come on. Johan would answer that. Well, well, in this context, I mean, we would say that death, the opposite of death is safety, right? What Jesus is saying is to take up your cross daily is to be willing to undergo whatever it takes to obey Jesus by dying to self that seeks its own approval 
its honor, its comfort, and its safety. As we are saying, this is the command here. This is a command, by the way. The command here is not to look for suffering. It's not to become a sore thumb. It is that as you and I go and as we live in this world, as we obey God, irrespective of what our friends think about us, what our families think about us, as we do that, you can expect some opposition. We should be willing to embrace this opposition if it comes, willing to die to myself. This is, this is very interesting. Peter articulates this in First Peter 4 verses 1 and 2 and I didn't put that up there. I don't think I put that up. But uh, as you obey Jesus, when you say no to the flesh or the sinful nature, you will experience suffering in the flesh. Uh, 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2 says, reads like this, Therefore, since Christ suffered his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desire. That's the self-centered nature of man. But they rather live for the will of God. When you and I obey God, don't think that it's easy for everyone. You, you, sometimes you look at the superstars and say, yeah, it's very easy for them. It's not easy for them. They have suffered in their flesh. You know, when you are tempted before a mutton biryani, that's hard and if it's very irresistible, to say no to it because I'm already full and anything beyond this is going to be gluttony. You know what I'm saying? I'm struggling in my flesh. It's the, it's, it's the part where I look at Netflix, I have Netflix, but I don't want to go there. And I, when I say no, it's hard. When you suffer in the flesh, when you say no, there will be struggles within. And I sense that as his teaching got harder, many people have, would have found it very difficult to follow him. Because the, the values were not of this kingdom. It, it is another kingdom. And so Jesus, when he gives a command, I love it, at some point, at some points he explains why this command is important. So he gives us three reasons. And it's actually one core reason, but it really builds on top of each other on why we must embrace opposition, shame, suffering and death, even if that means to walk that path. The first reason he would begin is in verse 24, and it reads, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. You know, this verse represents very powerful paradoxes. It represents something beyond the here and the now. And in other words, Jesus is saying that the person who seeks to save his or her temporary life by not denying self, is very short-sighted. Very short-sighted and does not have the big picture. The primary mark of a true disciple is that he or she cultivates an eternal perspective. So when this verse, while this verse applies to anyone who would have uh, listened to him that time, I think as children of God, there is a great opportunity for us to examine, and the Lord reminded me of two areas that I thought that I should share with us, just to examine for each one of us. By the way, I have my own struggles in some of these, so don't assume that as I'm speaking, that you got a very perfect guy saying this. I'm growing in Jesus, and uh, I praise God for the work that He does in all of our lives, and so we continue to look up to Him, not depending on our own strength. So the first area that we want to talk about in this area is the eternal perspective is on money. 
money. Show me the money. I don't know which movie was that, but while we profess our money belongs to the Lord, very theoretically, examine the various steps that we take to ensure financial security for us. We hoard our money quite a bit. We get into quick rich, quick rich schemes. Can you see what today's world is telling? Can you see what the young people today are telling? They want to make money. And they want to make money in the fastest way possible. So startups are happening, great ecosystems. And yet, do you see that the tendency to get rich faster? Why? Because I want to have some vacation somewhere. I want to just relax. That's not the design that we are all... By the way, there is no retirement for anyone in this world. It's just one uh, old concept. We are going to, we are going to serve our, our lives till we have the possibility and the capability. So there is no retirement. All right. Now, as I'm saying this, the scripture teaches us it is prudent to save and to be wise and put aside for any day. So you must do that. But every time when we do this, we are actually saying, and when, when, we, when we hoard and when we keep away, we are actually saying, Lord, this money belongs to me. Examine where your check is going. Examine where um, your transfers are going. Where is it spent? Examine that because it will give you an indicator of whether you are rich towards God and investing your wealth that has come from Him because of the intelligence, the wisdom and the greatness that He has given to you to do your work. I think all of that in the light of eternity, you've got to see where you are investing that. That's one area that we should examine. Number two is our service to others. Our service to others. If we live for ourselves, never thinking of the needs of others, we will be lonely, miserable people. And I'm saying in some part of this life on earth, we get to experience that. Now, if you remember Luke chapter 6, it says of, uh, the, the profile of a kingdom citizen is a very generous person. He's a very forgiving person. He's a person, uh, if you remember Luke 6.38 says, pressed down, shaken together and running over. The problem is that passage for us or that verse for us always reminds us of giving, giving, giving. Whereas, if you, if you remember what we studied in Luke chapter 6, that's a relational passage. So, when you invest in people, when I invest in Aparna, when I invest in people around in this church, right? I am sometimes thinking what's in it for me, but as I am giving away my time, my money, very generously, not because I want to gain anything back. I do get to experience the richness of intimacy with people. We are not designed for living in isolation. We are not designed. It's weird when people don't hang out. It's weird because that is not in our design. And I'm an introvert, by the way. Okay, I don't do so well in crowds like, like Pumbaa says in Lion King. Okay? God transforms us not to become someone else, but to know that His love compels us to reach out and be generous with our time. Let me flip this application. This is for the people who generally are very service-oriented, high ministry focus. You know, sometimes we do service and ministry at the cost of neglecting a higher priority. What's, what are the usual higher priorities for a person? If he's, uh, personally, it's, it's spending time with God in scriptures, in solitude, and prayer. That's one area that we neglect in the name of service and ministry. Another area that we neglect, maybe family people, is to spend quality time with our families. There are numerous stories of people 
neglecting their own family's emotional, financial, and personal needs, and they go all out to serve others. Remember this. You ought to be doing that, not neglecting this. You ought to be keeping that focus. But do you see when that eternal perspective is lost, there's a problem. And I'll tell you why this is very hard to discern. This is so hard to discern because when you see somebody on the outside, he's a very spiritual guy or he's a very spiritual girl because he's always on the run. Right? You see that. It's very hard. But you know what he's doing? He or she, when they neglect their own family and their walks with God and they are bothered about what other, uh, the services that they do and the adulations they receive, they are building their own kingdom. You see, it's the self-centered life that wants to build my kingdom, my glory, my image. I am bothered about what you think about me. And therefore, I go all out. And I want us to really examine this because it's very hard. It's very hard to say no to that self which wants to build its own image. Denying self-righteous desires is way more harder than denying unrighteous desires. Remember when Jesus said the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, they are all coming to the kingdom ahead. And here are the religious scholars, the guys who have studied scripture, they know theology, they know the Greek behind the Latin, behind the whatever it is. He's saying, he's saying, self-righteous people find it more harder to enter the kingdom of God because they have trusted in their own self. And that is something that we have to remember at the end of the day. Both these desires, self-righteous desires, unrighteous desires, are all building to build your own kingdom. Both are wrong. You've got to come to Jesus as your righteousness. So reason number one that Jesus says, uh, that we sh you and I should deny our self-centeredness and take up our cross daily because we live in the view of eternity and not the temporal. Verse 25. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Now, Jesus is building on from the previous verse, on the eternal perspective on what he's saying. That even if you achieve or gain a lot of things in this world, which the world values so much, the eternal value of the person is way greater. He's saying the PNL or the profit and loss statement is just not going to add up. It is just not good business in the end-to-end -end scheme of things. You know, this is one thing that we young people, we are, we are all young people, mostly young people, um, we lose sight of this, that we have finite time here on earth. Death is the ultimate statistics. One out of one die. And I know that is sobering, but it's a sure shot. And yet, you know what? We live as if we got all the time here to do what we want. We live and we devote our energy as we are going to be on earth forever with no thoughts to come. And here it is, young people. We are all young people. I'm young, you're younger. That's the only difference. Now, Jonathan Edwards, an American theologian in the 1700s, wrote this, that I frequently hear people in their old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives all over again. That is sobering. And we all will get old one day. And would it not be, that it would be weird that you and I would say that, I wish I would have done things differently. I wish I would have made the right choices. 
living a life of regret later after pursuing the world and spending your prime time and your energy on that is just poor profit and loss statement. It is just so short-sighted. For those of you who think that they have lost their time, it's not too late. Seek God and pursue Him. Love Him. Invest in things for eternity with Him. Get to know Him more. Don't bother about the things that you can do for Him. Love Him more. Enjoy His love. And out of His love, a lot of things will flow out. You will get automatically into serving others, not because you want to impress them or gain other people's appreciation, because you love Jesus and your life is so surrendered to Him that you're willing to take any step to obey Him. Our soul has eternal value. And nothing in this world, nothing in this world can outmatch that. So reason number two that Jesus is saying is, we should deny our self-centeredness and take up our cross daily because the value of my eternal soul cannot outmatch the most valuable thing in this world. And finally, the last two verses and we will close. The reason number three that Jesus is going to say is, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some, of, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. We love exactly what the majority thinks about us. We love what... <sighs> Other people think about us and we struggle with that. And so we avoid any resemblance of identifying with Jesus and obeying him or identifying him when the opportunity arises. You know, the temporary shame of being identified with Jesus and his teachings on earth, any temporary shame in that area is a small thing compared with having Jesus ashamed of us in his glorious second coming. Again, what's the foundation? short-sighted, not eternity focused. So there will be two, two outcomes when Jesus comes back. Either he'll be ashamed of me on that day because I did not want to do anything with him. Or he will confess me favorably before the Father saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You know, there will be a judgment. And during his return, because you and I choose something else other than Jesus as our love and priority, he hands you over to your desire and to your will. And that's an eternity without him. An eternity without him is what is called hell. Now I'm going to say something connected here. Hell is a very uncomfortable topic. We don't want to talk about it. By the way, today in the single session, we're going to talk about why I believe in life after death. You guys should attend that. There's going to be a preview about hell hell and heaven, right? Uh, hopefully, and Joby is going to cover that. So this is open to all also, although this is for the singles. Let me just talk about hell. Hell is the place of separation. It's a place where he honors the very dignity of man. I'm going to reverse this now. He honors the very dignity of each one of us that God will not force himself upon anyone. He respects your choice and he says your will be done. Because you see, if I don't want to hang out with Jesus in this temporary dot, 
of 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, then why would I want to hang out with them for the rest of the life? There's an eternal life that is pending. There's no reason. So if you don't want him here, you will not want him there also. And God in his mercy, in his immense mercy of dignity and respect to you and me. Wow, what a God. The one who says, if I stand at the door and knock. It's for those who open the door, it's only for those who are willing and makes a choice. For them, the, 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 the things are going to be different. Now God's desire is that none should perish. And so he made a way out for all humanity by sending his son, Jesus, our Messiah, God incarnate. He suffered in the flesh by taking on our sins. And the just wrath of God was poured out on him. He paid the penalty for our sins. He became our substitute as we heard today. And those who trust in the work done by Jesus and receive his righteousness will have eternal life. You and I bring nothing to the table. We are simply beneficiaries of this great love story. But the choice to accept or reject this offer is ours and it is an individual choice. May I appeal to any one of you who might be exploring this, make a wise choice in this regard. Jesus is saying your soul is valuable and it concerns your eternity. So reason number three, the final reason that Jesus says why I should deny my self-centeredness and take up my cross daily is because Jesus is coming back again in glory to judge the world which impacts the rest of your eternity with him. By the way, all humans are eternal beings. They are not, sometimes you think believers have eternity. Everybody has an eternity left. Everybody, every human being on this planet. In summary, what did we learn? Thank you for your patience. I just want to summarize our learning today. Jesus is the Messiah, the one who delivers us from our sin. That's what we learned first. The second is a true disciple or follower of Jesus denies himself and takes up his cross daily. Now, while that, while that might seem very counterintuitive, Jesus gives us three reasons why it is the most smartest and the wisest thing to ever do in the light of eternity. The true disciple, first, recognizes that we live in the view of eternity and not the temporal. The true disciple recognizes that his soul is very valuable. And even if all the world is at someone's disposal, it still won't match the value of your soul. The true disciple does not squander his wealth and time on the temporary, but on the eternal. And the true disciple lives in the light of the second coming, knowing that each person must give on earth, uh, must uh, give an account of our lives with two outcomes. An eternity with Jesus, that place is called heaven, or an eternity without Jesus, that place is called hell. And if we could keep our mind that life is very short, and eternity is just ahead, it would concentrate our minds wonderfully. Even though it is difficult and painful, we would daily recognize that we are dead to sin and alive to God because of what Jesus has done. And he has now given us the power to say no to the self-centered life. We can say no to its demands, not because you and I can, but Jesus in me can. And that's a life very dependent on Jesus, just like his father. Apart from Jesus, just like he was on his father, apart from Jesus, you and I can do nothing. May we make daily choices to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. These are hard things for us to accept because this is...
live in. We thank you, God, that you are uh, very patient with us. And we want to thank you for being very gentle with us. Lord, we want to admit on our own, we cannot do this. But we need your help. So, Lord, help us to examine our lives in the light of what you have taught us. Help us to repent. Help us to make choices that, uh, um, that impact our eternity. And we pray that we would make those wise choices, not because we are wise, but because you are the source of all wisdom. May your name be honored, for we ask all of these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.